You're not going to have to wait for a non-Christian friend to ask you to watch a movie where homosexuality is treated as normative. Mm -hmm. It's already happening everywhere you go. The real question that we should be asking ourselves is, do we entertain ourselves mm -hmm. in which we allow ourselves to be bombarded with a form of entertainment which is fundamentally broken and condemned sexuality? Hey, welcome to this week's In Doubt Podcast, the show where issues of life and faith are discussed with a biblical perspective with great Christian leaders from around the world. I'm Isaac, your host, and with me today is Sean. Hey, guys. Which is great to have him back for a little while. And also John. And uh, Sean, John. Uh, John's actually, um, I I've actually never introduced John, uh, but ever since, the, obviously, the tragic incident when Rebecca went to be with Jesus in the summer, John stepped in and eventually was hired to come on as our new audio engineer guy. So happy to have you here. Hey. <laughs> um, uh, it's the first official full week of February 2017, and I'm super pumped uh, to be releasing our Jude for the Faith series. And uh, Sean and John are here right now because they're the guys behind pretty much the whole making of. So thanks so much. Tell me a little bit about that, if you want. That was pretty good. Pretty good yeah. tag team. Yeah, uh -huh. you know, a lot of uh, going back and forth, arguing. Yeah. There was a lot of arguing. Well, to Some endless nights. Yes. Endless nights. There was no one this night. Anyways, yeah, it's a five-week Bible study film series that digs into the often misunderstood and unfortunately skimmed book of Jude. Anyways, it releases this Wednesday, February 8th. So if you want to check it out, go to jude.backtothebible.ca and you'll be able to, you know, find everything there. It's a free resource and it's for both individuals and group studies. Each film is about 10 to 15 minutes long and then there's a session card to go with each with a reflection and questions and readings and things like that. Anyways, this week we finished our mini two-week series with our Q&A on sexual identity, talking to a panel of an experienced Bible teacher, an apologist, and a pastor, Dr. John Neufeld, Steve Kim, and Dave Johnson. These questions are real questions brought from the audience, and each of these guys have great biblical answers and suggestions. Let's take a listen. Next question, I have a daughter who has gone through this exchange. How do I relate to her when she says, I will know that you love me if you call me by he, him, or son. Um, so should I? It feels wrong. What uh, would that mean I accept it? Um, that's a tough one. Uh, sometimes these scenarios go through my mind because I have two children. I have a three-year-old daughter and an 11-month-old this beast of a son who was like, <laughs> at seven months, he was like 25 pounds. I'm like, I can't carry around for much longer. You need to start walking soon. Um, but what if my daughter goes through that and she says, call me he, and call me some other name like Michael. What, what do I do? Um, call, call it a compromise, but I would use the pronoun or the name that she wants to be called by. If that means, if, you know, if I don't do it, you know, if this relationship is going to break, then I will use that pronoun. Hmm. Just in, in, in the interest of maintaining this relationship, because if there is no relationship, how am I going to share Jesus with right. her, right? right? And so um, so in the interest of something bigger, there is this phrase in, in Asia when it comes to like, you know, martial arts and sword fighting and things like that. <laughs> this phrase goes, you give the flesh and take the bone, hmm. right? So if somebody's trying to stab you, you give the flesh. So you let let that person stab you in a non-critical way, but you take 
the bone of that person in a striking in a critical manner. So that's sort of where I fall mm -hmm. on this. Is I, I yes, I will use that name. I will use uh, the pronouns and the names in the interest right. of maintaining the relationship. Some people would say that's condoning it. So if that if you say that you are going to do that to maintain the relationship, what where do you where does that end? Where's a barrier kind of end in regards to that? I, I guess it depends on. Yeah, it's a case by case sort yeah. of a thing. Um, but at some point, I will probably draw the line. Mm -hmm. But um, in terms of using the name and the pronouns, I would still stick with that. Um, it, it, it depends. At, at some point, if I am actually asked to really seriously participate in what she's doing, then I probably will have to say no. Mm -hmm. um, and if she thinks because of that I don't love her, it is the onus isn't on me. right? It is how she feels about that, and I can't change that. Yeah. Just real quick, I think I will do anything and everything to help a person come to Christ short of sin. The moment that it leads to sin. So if I'm encouraging that person in their sin, then of course not. Mm -hmm. But I think, and that may sound a bit radical, but just about anything short of sin. Like, I, we, won't, we won't sin. Mm -hmm. So the question becomes, is using that pronoun a sin? And I would say, I don't think it would be. But I would make it clear now, and again, I, again, this is kind of, yeah, I, I think I would make it clear that, hey, listen, I, I, I don't, you know, it grieves me that you did this, mm -hmm. but because I just, I, I love you so much, you're still my, my child, I, I want a relationship with you, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I don't want to encourage you to, to, I guess, go further in this, but I mean, I still want to maintain a relationship yeah. with you. Yeah. That's my perspective. That's good. That's good. That's and, and there are different, I mean, when we talk about this, I mean, are we talking about already gender reconstructive surgery. Mm. Because a lot of that stuff gets to be a one-way trip. And we need to understand that. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, here's the question, what do you do with someone who has gone through a complete uh, uh, you know, gender orientation and uh, everything else, and then they come to Christ, yeah. mourn deeply over what they've done, recognize that God has created them male or female, and has put design within them, now realize it, but surgery's been done. That's the next question, so. So, okay, let's, let's talk about that. Uh, prophecy we're get, tonight. What's that? I said no, prophecy. prophecy. No, there was none, none of that going on, but, but, <laughs> but, but it's, I mean, it's, pretty, it's pretty clear that that's where we actually end up going as a culture and as a society. So we need to ask ourselves, when the scripture tells us uh, to accept a person whatever state that they are found in, I think from my limited vantage point, and somebody may correct me, so again, I, I'm not sure I know, but my, my sense around that is if I've won someone to Jesus, they've gone through a complete sex change, that I, I would help them to understand the brokenness in this, but I'd help them to learn to be faithful in that situation. Mm. I don't think I'd ask them to go through that surgery all over again. Mm. Um, so I, I, you know, Maybe we've all got to learn something down here, yeah. but I, I think a gentleness um, and and love does tend to rule the day. Even while we tend to know, what, no, we do know specifically from Scripture what God has attached to our gender. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I saw a video online of exactly that. A guy became a woman and then came to faith, and then but I mean the test, the power of that testimony. I mean, it brought me to tears because here's this guy who tells his testimony and how, how precious Jesus has become to him. 
um, that testimony was powerful. There is perhaps, you know, I mean, I'm just looking for some parallels mm -hmm. within Christian history, and there might be one, and that is what happens when missionaries win people to Christ who are, you know, one man with maybe four or five, six, seven wives even, what do you actually do? And it is true that if you take that family and you break it apart, the ruin that gets, that happens to that family is much greater. So you leave them in that situation they're in, Whereas you wait for the next generation and you teach them mm. what faithfulness to Christ looks like. And the reality is in a broken and fallen world, we get all sorts. I mean, if you don't do any evangelism ever, mm -hmm. you don't have to make this decision. If you do, it's going to get really messy. So you want to continue to hold forth God's ideal for all. You never let that go. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you recognize you win people in some very mm -hmm. strange situations. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, I feel like the leaders in my church are sort of negative or have this sort of uh, just a, oh, homosexuality is a sin sort of mentality. Uh, what should I do about it? Should I leave my church because of this? Or should I uh, talk to leaders about that? Ask it again. Did you understand? Mm -hmm. In the sense of like, I feel like the, the leaders in my church have a, uh, a, a, bad, a wrong view in regards to homosexuality in, in the sense that they aren't being accepting or anything like that. It's, Not un, it's unloving, is that the question? Yes. Oh, so how do I, do I leave the church or do I uh, you know, approach them and talk to them about it? Um, me, having come from a very much a Confucian kind of a culture, mm -hmm. um, I have a lot of respect for the authority, like the church authority, right? So... Um, Often it comes down to this, if, if the church leadership is doing something that I disagree with, as long as I am a member of that church, I will follow them, I will obey them. But if I were to start a church on my own, like do a new, new church plan, then it would be a different story. Mm -hmm. Now, um, I think Confucius taught something, and there is something to learn from that, not that you know, his views are all right, but <laughs> I think there are some things that we can learn from that. What he said was this, that if your king decides to do something that you object to, then you make the objection known three times, and if your sovereign still decides to do that, then follow it with, with tears. Um, and if you're, I mean, obviously, if, you're, if you really, in your good conscience, can't do that, then you will probably have to remove yourself from mm -hmm. office. But... Um, that, that's what I would do is I would approach the church leadership and say, you know, raise my voice, my concern, see how it is received. Mm -hmm. And uh, if, it, if it's not received very well, I would possibly consider moving to mm -hmm. another church. Because uh, I, I guess I just don't want Christians to be isolated from church environments. Uh, like I, I want to make sure that, that we're being fed in a church kind of thing, right? So make sure... That that'd be that'd be my take on that. I don't know if you have any different thoughts on it. I always think that we ought to be slow to change churches. Slow. Yeah. I mean, there are principal issues that we, mm -hmm. and and we need to identify what they would be. Um, and you know, we can talk long and hard, but I don't want to get into that right now. The question really is, if it's an attitudinal thing, it's not a doctrinal thing. It's an attitudinal thing. I think that's what you're saying. Yeah. And the attitude is, uh, I think from my vantage point, they're not being loving. Perhaps they would say different. But if that were the case, I would simply say, listen, get to know them. Share your concerns. Let them share concerns back. Listen to one another. Um, I, I would be very slow about the leaving thing. I agree, agree, agree. But if, but if a leadership team is not hungry to see the lost saved, that's a really concerning thing. I don't want to follow that person. 
But I agree with you. I, don't, I think people leave churches way too quick. Yeah, yeah that's good. Uh, this one's comments to Pastor Dave, so I'm going to put you on the spot here. Oh, uh, in, in the workplace, I understand that we must treat the homosexuals as any others. But confusion is about why I must befriend them. Because if we are becoming friends and develop trust and talk about their orientation, won't it just lead to arguments? Family is the exception, of course. Sure. I don't think it has to lead to an argument. I mean, I, at least in my experience, I think the way that um, you go about that friendship really matters. I think, again, if you are able to build trust, be kind, you know, honor that person. And then if the Holy Spirit so leads for you to ask some questions, um, I think sometimes actually, you know, in retrospect, I used to work at IHOP. I used to be a <laughs> server at IHOP, man. It was the worst days of my life. It was, it was just hungover, grumpy people all the time. No tips. Oh, it was the worst. But there was a guy there who I became very good friends with, and we had some heated conversations. But like, I always like, I said to him, like, I, I care about you. Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, you're my friend, right? And so, like, my my love for him, uh, like, like, we had some contentious and heated moments, but that did not mean that our friendship stopped. Mm -hmm. From my experience, if your uh, if your friend makes you watch, uh, or I guess asks you to watch homosexual media. So it could be a sitcom with homosexual characters or whatever. We all know that. Uh, do you turn away or do you watch? Uh, how do you maybe just watch it to talk to talk about it after? How do you approach that? Or is it more of a situational thing? I think what we're going to find out is that, so I'm the old guy on the stage. So, you know, listen, here's the deal. I lived through the cultural, uh, this, this revolution in our culture, yeah. which was the sexual revolution. And, and I recall that, see, when, when I was in grade school, I remember we had a teacher ask us this question. It, was, it went like this. He said, secular school, would you marry a girl who's had sexual relations with someone else? And we all said, no. See, that was the cultural norm when I was a kid. Then all of a sudden, we had this revolution, and uh, everything changed. And so we watched how many movies, how many movies did we watch in which it was okay to have sexual relationships? So now we all became desensitized to it and said, it's no big deal. So here's what I'm going to say to you. You're not going to have to wait for a non-Christian friend to ask you to watch a movie where homosexuality is treated as normative. Mm -hmm. It's already happening everywhere you go. Mm -hmm. The real question that we should be asking ourselves is, do we entertain ourselves mm -hmm. in which we constantly, constantly allow ourselves to be bombarded with a form of uh, with, with entertainment which is fundamentally broken and condemned sexuality? Mm -hmm. Should we do that? That's the real question. That's the good. one time with a friend, you know, that's not really the issue. Right. The real issue is what are we actually doing in our own homes? Yeah. And I think part of it, too, is just, just to add on to that, and you've kind of touched on this already, but consistency is a key thing, I think, because you can't just say, oh, you know, um, I, I won't watch this homosexual movie with you, but then you go home and you watch, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey or something like that, right? And, and you entertain yourself with that. I mean, that, ladies and gentlemen, yeah. is called hypocrisy. Yeah, <laughs> and we good. seem to be so good at that sometimes. And uh, so it, it is a matter of, it has to, I think, come from a place of I want to grow in holiness, and because of that, 
It's not just a particular type of movie. It's any type of movie yeah. that has this kind of entertainment in it. I will have to refrain from that. In, That's good. In my well, it, I, I think it, we have to be careful about like us and them in the sense that like, mm. you know, there's been times where I'm like with like Christian guys and all of a sudden we're watching a movie we're like, guys, we need to not watch this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and so like, I think it's more just being conscious of what you're taking in, right? Mm. And we've been called to be consecrated, right? And so um, there'll be times where you're with non-Christians who aren't gay, where you gotta go, you know, I, can we watch something else? Like HGTV, <laughs> which by the way, I don't know if you noticed this, but like every couple, like every other couple is a gay couple on HGTV. Right. And I love HGTV. <laughs> so I, like island life, anyways, I'm not, I'm just, I'm not gonna get into it, but. But I think it, it has more to do with okay, you're consecrated, and yeah, so if yeah. yeah, for sure, if the if if the program is is uh, is is sinful and leading you to sin, yeah. and like you you shouldn't be watching yeah, that. That's good. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Two questions. I think both of these are very relevant. This is the last ones we'll do. Uh, this one: How should we approach a wedding invitation to an LGBT wedding of a friend or family member? I want to talk descriptively again rather than prescriptively. Because I, I don't know that I can talk to everybody, I would not go. I'll tell you why, and that is uh, there are a lot of things that I don't attend, um, I, and I there are some things that I do, and so I make that I make that decision simply on this basis. Would I go to like for instance we when we lived in California we had neighbors, um, they were um, they had constant homosexual parties. They invited me over. Did I go? Yes, did had opportunity to share the gospel all over the place, there all the time. If they had asked me to go to one of their weddings, would I have gone? Probably not. And, uh, and, and here's why. Uh, simply because I, I believe that marriage, at some point in time, I need to make that statement. And, and I would want to make sure at the same time I'll be praying for you. Um, and I'd make all sorts of other statements as well. But that would be my, for whatever, you, know, you may disagree with me on that, and that's fine. Um, I, I would tend to agree with that. Like, I, I would not go. Um, but it, it, I guess if I know this person well enough, hopefully we will have established mm -hmm. that, you know, it, it's not because, you know, of, of the person that I'm not going. Mm -hmm. It is the institution that, you know, with my presence that I'm celebrating. Yeah. It's, it's my presence there. That already means I'm celebrating it. There. Witnessing. Right. And so, uh, just, just like the, the, um, bakery, couple down in Oregon whose business got shut down. Uh, two gay men, I believe, came to them, asked them to bake a, a wedding cake for their same-sex wedding uh, with some congratulatory messages on it, and they said, we can't do that in good conscience. Now, what they did uh, say, as I understand it, is if you were to come to me with anything else, like you have a birthday party or, you know, um, I don't know if they do cakes for funeral, but if you have a funeral, we'll do, do that one for you. But anything else. <laughs> they do that in I, Korea, do they? I, uh, that's a good question. Do we? I don't know. I've been away for like 20 something years. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you what, um, a bit of a cultural shock moment because I've been living here more than half of my life. I've been here now. And I remember when my wife and I got engaged, and I proposed to her, and she said yes. I'm like, hooray, you know, now we're calling people, right? And I called my brother. And uh, at this point, they had met my wife, Sharina, once, you know, while we were still dating. So I called him up and said, hey, Peter, you know, just wanted to let you know that we, uh, we got engaged. And he says, with who? 
I'm like, oh, that, remember that girl that, uh, that you met once before? And then he paused like two seconds, and, and then he said, yeah, but with who? I'm like, what do you mean with who? But it turns out what he was expecting was this Korean style of engagement where you, because in Korea, marriage is not just a union of individuals, it's, it's a union of households. So the ex- expectation was that if you want to get engaged, then you bring the whole families together and you make the announcement, we wish to be married, and that you do this whole thing. So he thought that I did this without him there. Anyway, it's oh, just no. totally cool. <laughs> um, I had we to, all get I had it. to we explain that it. to him real quick. I was like, yeah. no, uh, this is what happened. He's like, well, that's, that's not an engagement. I'm like, yes, it is. It is in this culture. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, to, to go back to that, so this, this couple said, well... It, will bake a cake for any other occasion. Which meant that, you know, it's not because that person is gay, those pe- that couple was gay that they didn't bake the cake. It was that by baking this cake, they were endorsing this institution of same-sex marriage. And that's what they didn't want to do. They were right. discriminating right. against the people. Yeah. And so in the same way, um, if my presence at this wedding means that I'm actually celebrating this institution, then I can't in good yeah. conscience do that. And hopefully, if I know this person well enough, I will have established that already yeah. so that it doesn't come to this person as a surprise that I will not be going. That's good. Yeah. I don't really know. Yeah. Like, when I, when, if my sister gets married to her partner, yeah. I, just, I don't really have an answer, like a real clear-cut yeah. answer there. My hope is that, obviously, because... My sister trusts me. If I, if I, I just need to seek the Lord on that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I just need to. I think and it might be different for family. It might be different. Well, I think I think it has to be unique. Like we have the Holy Spirit, right? And so if I feel very convict, convicted by the Holy Spirit, like I need to listen to Him, yeah, right? That's but, good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to the last question here. Uh, how can we? This is a great question. Um, how can we approach this subject with our children? Uh, as they encounter this topic in their lives uh, with their friends or as they you know, may struggle even personally. So elementary school, high school, so on and so forth. How do we engage this with our children? Mm-hmm. I was just going to say it's so important that we're proactive rather than reactive. Mm. Um, yeah, and I, I think it's really actually this, is, this as, as, a, as the local church becomes more and more proactive in, in this regard. I think it's a really, really healthy thing. And... I think even if the local church was to step up and, and even, you know, have some sort of maybe at like grade five or grade three, or I don't know when exactly, but I mean, I had kids who are like, you know, she's three and, and six months old. And then we actually foster a son who's 19 years old as well. But um, as my, my biological children grow older, like this is a, now a concern of mine, right? And I want to be proactive. I, I want them to learn about sexuality yeah. from from. Uh, myself and my wife before they hear things mm-hmm. because in my case I grew up uh, and that wasn't the case mm-hmm. you know what I mean I think it was a grade nine my dad like pulled me and he's like he like drew a diagram oh. he, like he like started drawing diagrams I'm like dad like you know and then grade nines is way too late right <laughs> I'd seen more than diagrams dad you know <laughs> yeah so uh, be proactive <laughs> That's good. That's a good point yeah. I think uh, I think it has to be a part of wider teaching and we need to teach uh, a couple of things seem important to me. One of the things that's lost in our culture, and whether you've noticed that, is the, the value of marriage. Um, it, it, here's the deal. I was 22 and I got married. My wife was 21. And nowadays when I say that to people, they look at me and say, oh, my goodness, you were kids, right? And um, I, my, my second daughter, when she got, ma- when she got married, 
uh, she was in university and she came to class sporting a wedding ring and her prof stopped her and said, uh, you know, you're way too young to get married. Mm. You know, that's really interesting to me. I dare him to stop a couple that, uh, you know, let's say a homosexual couple and say, you know, you shouldn't be living together. He'd never say that. Um, so what we have to do is counter that by, I think we need to develop in our children uh, this expectation of how lovely and important marriage is. That doesn't mean that we don't tell them at the same time mm -hmm. that there is also a calling on God to be single. That might be God's calling on your life. Mm -hmm. But if he doesn't call you to that, you need to begin to pray about, at this point in your life, the spouse that you will marry. Mm -hmm. And you do that early. And you help them through that process so that they see that as a precious step in their lives. And I think in that, you also teach them what gender actually then means and the role that they're to, uh, to fulfill. Yeah. Um, just to add to that, too, as we teach them this healthy view of marriage, and I think it's really, that's really critical because, um, you know, even more than, you know, same-sex marriage, What's been really detrimental to our, our view of marriage has been no-fault divorce. Mm. Because when that happened, marriage wasn't about children anymore. Mm. Because it, now it was about two consenting adults. And so the divorce rate soars, and, and I, I would say probably my guess is that about half the people here, or maybe more than that, have all been directly or indirectly affected by divorce in your family. Mm. Uh, I certainly come from a broken family like that. And, and so I think, see, see, I was born and raised Catholic, and, and, and for Roman Catholics, this whole thing of sexuality goes, it, it goes hand in hand with procreation and family, and that forms their view of marriage and things like that. And, and so then down the road, you know, it's, it's birth control mm -hmm. and abortion and things like that. So everything is kind of summed up together in the idea of procreation and, and and raising children and family and things like that. And I think, um, I mean, I'm not a practicing Roman Catholic anymore. I kind of hopped the Reformation fence, so to speak. But I think there's a great deal that we can learn from mm -hmm. our Catholic friends mm -hmm. in terms of their view of sexuality mm -hmm. and how they link it so closely mm -hmm. to family. Yeah. Um, and, and secondly, just quickly to add to that, I think we also need to teach our children a healthy view of sin. Yeah. Because uh, when, when we don't do that, we end up kind of pointing out instances of sin and we just condemn that. And, and when, when you do that, you, you can only pick at a select number of sins sure, and yeah. you kind of harp on them all the time, right? But if, you, if they understand that we have this inclination in us and that manifests itself in all kinds of ways, hopefully our children will grow up to appreciate that, you know, a sin is a sin is a sin in a sense, Right, so that when they come across friends who are gays and lesbians, they won't look at them with any sort of the sense of moral superiority, mm -hmm. but this, this sense of solidarity. You know what? Welcome to the sin club. <laughs> now let's hang out. Yeah, maybe play video games together or something, or eat <laughs> cupcake. Uh, again, thank you guys so much. Can we just give a round of applause for uh, these three here?
that was our live Q&A on sexual identity part two. If you came up with any questions yourself, be sure to ask us at info at indoubt.ca. Everything we do at Indoubt, including our podcast, blogs, and our video resources like Jude for the Faith, it's all free. We know young adults are sometimes, you know, frugal or, you know, low on cash, but if Indoubt has impacted you in any way, shape, or form, we'd love for you to prayerfully consider making a small donation, even if it's just like five or ten bucks. It helps a lot. If this interests you at all, just head to indoubt.ca and click the donate button. If you're one of our American listeners, do the same thing, but just be sure to check the for U.S. Residents button. Anyways, that wraps up this week's Indoubt podcast. Stay with us throughout the week online on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We'll definitely connect with you. Or if you roll this way, you can totally email us at info at indoubt.ca. Anyways, I'm Isaac. I'm Sean. And I'm John. And that wraps up the Indoubt podcast. <laughs> Indoubt is a ministry of Back to the Bible Canada. For more podcasts, blogs, and videos, visit backtothebible.ca slash Indoubt.